This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. It is a great focus by a variety of different individuals, including Capitol Hill, around pharmacy benefits managers, viewed by some as the quote-unquote new bad boys of health care. The concerns are in areas like anti-competitive practices, collusion, exclusive contracts, and more. But how much of a concern is there right now, and to a degree is some of it overdone? Rob Burns is a professor of healthcare management at the Wharton School and has taken a deeper dive into this with a new paper that uh, he has put together. Rob, great to talk to you again. It has been a while. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Dan, for inviting me. It is good to be back. Thank you. And so take us through this report and, and, and why it's so important to focus on, on PBMs at this point in time. Sure. Uh, first, one thing to correct for your listeners, it's not a paper. It's a 650-page book, um, okay. <clears throat> which stunned Senator Wyden because he thought, oh, my God, how am I going to get my hands around that? Um, <laughs> PBMs are just the latest of a series of middlemen in the uh, healthcare supply chain for uh, um, various products and services. And uh, most people don't understand what middlemen do. They get no respect. I call them the Rodney Dangerfield of healthcare. Uh, they're misunderstood at the least, and they're vilified at the worst, and that's what's going on right now. Now, the reason why it's important is because the PBMs are the ones who buy the branded drugs from the drug manufacturers, big pharma. And the PBMs exist to negotiate price discounts on those branded drugs, and every one of us benefits from that. Right. And, and if the, for those that don't know the, the, the role, the actual role that the PBM plays here, kind of give us a synopsis of, of what all they do. Sure. Uh, what's the, so they, uh, you know, the, the big pharma, the drug manufacturer has a product. They obviously want to sell it and sell as much of it as they can. But in order to do that, they have to go through the health plans who kind of set up the insurance uh, for both Medicare, Medicaid and the commercial books of business, and the health plans engage uh, these intermediaries, the PBMs, to act as, you know, their agents to set up formularies where uh, consumers and rollies can get those drugs uh, on different tiers. They, you know, you want to, if you want a generic, you can get it really cheaply. If you want a really uh, high-priced Branded drug, you can get that. You may pay a you know a higher copay or cost share, uh, but the PBM set up those formularies, and what they basically do is exchange with the manufacturers, saying, "You want to be on our formulary and sell your drugs to our enrollees? Great, but we want a price discount. And if you want right. more favored access on our formulary, which means lower copays and cost share, then we want an even bigger discount. So they're basically paying off." Uh, playing off uh, the manufacturers in a uh, volume exchange. You can sell more volume, but we want a lower list price, lower net price. And that's basically what Costco does. And really, this is part of a larger discussion around the pricing of, of drugs in and around healthcare in general, is it not? Correct. And, and it, it, it covers uh, the commercial, you know, the employer based health insurance. It covers Medicaid. It covers Medicare Part D. I mean, everybody uses the PBMs. 
so the revenue model that these PBMs have, I, I, are, are we talking about a historical pattern that hasn't really changed a lot, or are, are these revenue models for PBMs kind of tweaking and adjusting as we move forward here? Uh, they're more than just tweaking and adjusting. There's some uh, seismic shifts going on here. So the thing that the PBMs get criticized for endlessly is that they get these discounts from the drug manufacturers in order to get on the formulary. Those discounts are known as rebates. Uh, and then the question is, what does the PBM do with those rebates? Well, they pass almost all of them, sometimes all of them, along to the health plan. Uh, now, given the fact that they're passing them along to the health plans means it's not a big, as big a portion of their revenue model as they used to be. And in fact, in Medicare Part D, you know, one of the growing markets in healthcare, I mean, the PBMs keep less than 1% of those discounts or rebates. So it obviously isn't, you know, a major factor in their revenue model. What's happening now is that the PBMs revenue models are shifting more towards the specialty pharmacies, you know, because more and more of the new drugs that are approved are specialty medicines, uh, which are high-priced uh, drugs for special conditions, sometimes orphan conditions. And there's very little competition uh, in the markets for those uh, orphan drugs, very little competition with other drug manufacturers. And so the PBMs are making their, their new revenues in dispensing those drugs, not in terms of rebates. But very few people understand that. You've also uh, mentioned that that component of trade-offs in the industry, and, and really that's in, in tandem with the health plans? Yeah, the entire healthcare ecosystem is a series of trade-offs. I published a textbook two years ago, the U.S. healthcare ecosystem. Everything in healthcare involves a trade-off, which means you can't have it all. You're, you're trading off one thing to get another thing. And so with the PBMs, they're trading off, you know, they're giving the manufacturers more access to the market, but in exchange for that greater access to the market and the ability to sell more products, they got to cut their cost. They got to cut their prices that they're charging. And of course, you know, the drug manufacturers aren't crazy about all that. They'd like to sell more drugs at a high price, not more drugs at a low price. So then the state of this sector, this section of the healthcare industry right now is what? Uh, it still provides a value, but maybe needs to kind of look and, and reassess some of the elements of it? Well, you know, it depends on who you talk to. The biggest vocalist and most vocal critics of the PBN industry are the manufacturers that they contract with upstream and the pharmacies that they contract with downstream. So those are the two biggest critics. But, right. you know, it's interesting that the customers of the PBMs that means the health plans and the employers that the health plans work on behalf of, they're not complaining about the PBMs. So you begin to wonder, well, just how much do we have to worry about here? The only people complaining are the ones who have to contract with the PBMs, not the ones you know, who are their customers downstream. That should give everybody pause for thought. I should note that uh, there is an upcoming uh, conference on drug pricing uh, with uh, the Leonard Davis Institute here at the University of Pennsylvania. If you can, take us into the importance uh, of of these conversations right now as, as to where we are with our healthcare industry. Oh, sure. Well, you know, everybody and his mother in both the House and the Senate 
are holding hearings on the PBMs. Uh, I appeared before the Senate Finance Committee last Thursday. I'm talking to the uh, House, uh, not, excuse me, the, uh, the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee tomorrow. Uh, there's parallel committees uh, elsewhere in the Senate and in the House. I mean, everybody's sort of like uh, uh, up in arms about what they perceive to be these, you know, uh, mysterious and perhaps evil practices of the PBMs. My view, and I expressed this verbatim uh, before the Senate last Thursday, is that, you know, you're treating the PBMs as your scapegoat. The problems lie elsewhere. But people in Congress, you know, they want to have somebody to go after and they want to say, well, look what we've done you know, to, to achieve uh, some progress in this area. But to me, it's all misguided and misdirected. What's your expectation that we're going to see play out then in the in the months and years ahead? Obviously, there's, there's going to be more uh, pressure coming from entities on Capitol Hill, but I think that it's also the understanding, or in some cases, lack of understanding of some of these elements that, uh, that hurts the industry as well, as a whole. Yeah, I think just the, the sheer ignorance of how the healthcare system work, works is our biggest enemy. And I don't think people in the House and Senate really understand all this. Rob, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for your time, as always. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thanks, Dan. All right. You got it. Rob Burns, who's professor of healthcare management here at the Wharton School. All right. Busy two hours with lots that we talked about over the course of uh, a variety of different topics. We started out the day joined by Dan DeFrancesco. Joining us, he is the finance editor at Business Insider. And we talked about the reports out today about leadership of Signature Bank selling shares in the bank at the height of when cryptocurrency investments were being made. He talked about the reporting of the selling of the shares should raising some red flags the way that these were reported was a little bit under the radar and what i mean by that is the journal reported how the selling of the shares were reported to the fdic as opposed to the sec which is typically the fashion that most bank executives will let their shareholders know that they are selling shares signature bank executives filed all of these sales through the FDIC, and that also stood to kind of obfuscate the selling of these shares, and it also just kind of raised another red flag of, was it a matter of, let's get out while the getting's good, um, and realizing that this wasn't going to last forever. We talked with Troy Gayeski, Chief Market Strategist with FS Investments, about the state of Wall Street right now and the impact uh, that the uh, banks are feeling from the moves that the Fed have had to make in recent months, and how that both can be bad for the economy as a whole. You have the Fed continuing to fight inflation by hiking interest rates, draining their balance sheet while allowing bonds to roll off what's known as quantitative tightening, while they injected over $100 billion of new liquidity into the banking system to protect the weakest links. We think it's clear that the net impact on the banking system will be negative for the economy. It increases the likelihood of recession. It pulls that risk forward. And, you know, we still think, unfortunately, equities are too rich for an environment where earnings growth is going to be disappointing. We also talked with Al Root of Barron's uh, about the merger between uh, Endeavor Group, which is the parent company of uh, UFC, and World Wrestling Entertainment. 
And he noted that with the deal being announced that there were some investors not as happy as maybe you might think. You know, the market gets to decide what they want to pay for this stuff. So right. the combined UFC and World Wrestling Entertainment will generate about a billion dollars in EBITDA. And, you know, after that came out, the market said, ah, you know, this is what I want. I wanted WWE to just get taken over for a big premium. So the stock right. dropped. So it's an interesting deal. It's a bit of an odd deal. Like Endeavor will continue to trade. They'll just own 51% of this new company. Uh, and WWE is now a, a larger, more diversified organization. What is the future of the metaverse? That's one of the questions being asked, especially since Disney recently announced that it was cutting its metaverse division. Kathy Hackle is founder and chief metaverse officer for Journey. She notes that the biggest impact of the metaverse moving forward will be whatever comes after we get done using smartphones. I think the big impact, if I'm going to be honest, is in that post-smartphone future. Like what replaces the mobile phone? Is it glasses? Is it some other type of wearable? I think that whatever, you know, whatever comes after the mobile phone is what is going to make that huge impact and impact how we interact with the world, how we work, how we engage with, with each other, just like, you know, just like mobile phones did. They have definitely changed everything. And whatever replaces the mobile phone will be that, you know, that catalyst, that watershed moment that will send us into that future. With the uh, questions around the economy, with inflation and the potential of recession, we look at how certain industries are doing right now. Construction being our focus today. Ken Simonson with the Associated General Contractors of America noting that construction numbers aren't that bad right now, especially when you're talking about areas like infrastructure and manufacturing. We got figures yesterday morning from the Census Bureau and manufacturing construction jumped 54% from a year ago uh, to February of this year. Uh, we're also seeing uh, positive figures for uh, sectors such as highway, uh, sewer, and uh, water construction. And uh, I think that those infrastructure categories are only going to get better as the money from the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of uh, 2021 starts to be allocated. In our weekly look at sports and business, we're joined by Kurt Badenhausen of Sportico. And we talked about the surge right now around women's sports, including the very good numbers in terms of rating and revenue numbers and attendance from the women's NCAA basketball tournament. Right now, the valuation is $6 million a year for women's March Madness. It just put up a 9.9 rating for the championship game, which is better than the average for the NBA Finals. So it's unbelievable, certainly having a moment right now, uh, up 100% from last year's game. And they're moving into a potential media negotiation as well. And uh, you see valuations upwards, you know, almost at $100 million uh, annually, what this uh, property is worth. How is the commercial real estate market doing right now? David Baton, co-founder and CMO of management software platform DoorLoop, notes that the current state of work, with some of it being remote, is having an impact on the commercial real estate market. Everyone's looking to work remote today. It's not a great place to be in right now, but what I can tell yeah. you is that we are also seeing a shift to go back into the office. So there is kind of, we're, we're kind of heading back to the norm where people are coming back into the office, but it's still being effective. So I think as a developer, you need to think longer term that 
hey, I thought everyone was going to be in the office, not anymore, so now you have to be more flexible, maybe a mixed-use space, maybe we can convert into a co-working space. So they have to be a lot more flexible and creative with what they're going to be doing in the next few years. Members of Capitol Hill focusing around pharmacy benefits managers in the healthcare sector right now and the concerns of some of their activities right now. Rob Burns, professor of healthcare management at the Warren School, notes that the issue of trade-offs in conjunction with healthcare plans is also on the uh, focus of Capitol Hill around PBMs. Everything in healthcare involves a trade-off, which means you can't have it all. You're, you're trading off one thing to get another thing. And so with the PBMs, they're trading off, you know, they're giving the manufacturers more access to the market. But in exchange for that greater access to the market and the ability to sell more products, they got to cut their cost. They got to cut their prices that they're charging. And of course, you know, the drug manufacturers aren't crazy about all that. They'd like to sell more drugs at a high price, not more drugs at a low price. Those are your highlights from the show. Don't forget, you can listen to the entire show on replay tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Sirius XM 132. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.